1: Bring in show music please.
0: This is Squawk Pod and I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. On today's episode, the next wave of AI with one of the architects of this wave of AI. Mustafa Suleiman, co-founder of Inflection AI and co-founder of DeepMind, maps out the future.
2: But in five years, everybody is going to have their own chief of staff. It's going to intimately know your personal information, be completely aligned with your interests and help you to manage and process all the information you need to consume in your day.
0: And get your popcorn and your era's tour outfit. Taylor Swift is coming to a theater near you. Puck News' Matt Bellamy with the movie music deal of the fall. And
1: this is a movie that domestically could gross a couple hundred million dollars in theaters. That's no small change for these companies.
0: Plus, Elon Musk is threatening to sue the anti-defamation league. And good news from Goldman. America's chances of recession are down. As long as you're awake to read the headline, money never
3: sleeps, pal. The world is go- moving. At 6 a.m., at 6:05. Where are you?
0: It's Tuesday, September 5th, 2023, and SquawkPod begins right now.
4: Stand, Andrew, by in three, two, one. Cue Andrew. Good morning, and welcome back to SquawkBox right here on CNBC. We're live at the market site <laughs> in Times <laughs> and you, Square. And you too. And yeah, welcome back to everybody. <laughs> right. And. Uh, we can welcome each we, other. We can say goodbye to summer because summer is now past Labor Day, it's officially over sadly. I'm it's Andrew Osorkin. It's unofficially over. Well, unofficially, September I'm, 20th. Yeah. You can't That's, wear your white pants that, anymore. That, yeah. I'm Andrew Osorkin along with Joe Kernan, I'm not wearing white pants, okay. but uh, Joe Kernan is here. Mike Santoli is here hanging out uh, in for Becky who's still off today. Have you noticed that we flipped that board around, Joe? The oil prices? No. The Treasury Board, that board, we used to, we used to run. No it. way! Is this 30 where did this At the thirty oh. year at the top, two year at the bottom. You know what? Because of the way the world used right. to work, but the world has now been flipped upside down. And here we are. That's a
3: good uh, metaphor for what's happened. We'll flip the board around to, to mirror the what's happened. Do you remember Andrew years ago? I think you were on on the show, or maybe right before when Greenspan said, "I want take take everything else off." Just put the ten-year there for me. Oh to no, walk. I was around yeah, for that. You're around, yeah. yeah, and and for a while that was not the case. It, it's back. Yep. It, but combined with where the two-year is, but of, to Andrew's point, the, even further back, the thirty used to be the one that. The everyone thirty watched, does anyone now talk now right? Uh, that, exactly. We should have done obviously a hundreds. We should have done some hundies about yeah. a year and a half ago. Bonds, you yeah. think that would have worked? It would have worked. The problem the Treasury always has is you can't
5: necessarily issue that much in terms of dollar value at those very long maturities. I mean, the market just probably won't accept that much right. duration. And so, therefore, it's like you're really moving the needle. They really listen to, I think, the, the dealers in terms of what the demand is, and they, they've been skewing it toward the short end,
3: for better or words. I'd, I'd be interested just because it 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 just it would show how optimistic you are about your chances. Just about. Sure. I mean, if you buy a hundred-year bond, but you're going to be like, there. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm going to. You know, I may maybe I'll get out early, depending. But um, if not, well, that you're going to be. I'll there get my money back. And the country's going to be here. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's optimistic right. on oh, both hey, ends. Wait a minute. Yeah, and humankind That's right. might be there. Which you know now with North Korea and, and Russia so cozy, isn't that great news? Great. You want some stuff to worry about? I, I'm, I'm worried, genuinely. Well, here, you know I do that. You may not need that EV.
5: Goldman Sachs is saying worry just a little bit less about a U.S. economic recession. Now sees a 15% chance that the U.S. will slide into a recession, down from a previous chance of 20%. Chief Economist Jan has said the still resilient labor market suggests the Fed may not need to raise interest rates any further. He says a September hike is off the table, and the hurdle for a November hike is significant. He also said real disposable income looks set to re-accelerate in 2024 on the back of continued solid job growth and rising real wages. He said the firm disagrees with the notion that growing drag from monetary policy will push the economy toward recession. This comes, of course, after uh, a jobs report on Friday, which was light on the headline number, downward revisions, but still, uh, and an uptick in the unemployment rate, but higher labor force participation is still healthy levels. Wage growth was okay, but, but cooler. Um, I mean, we can obviously and probably should poke fun at the, at the excessive we, uh, precision all right. here. So we, well, we yeah, is we, it
4: a we, we or that's where I was well, going to go. That too,
3: but but we, you know, we already did poke poke yeah. fun at it. But now to take it back to the other side, these guys all do models. Okay, right. that's the only way that they can do anything. So instead of taking the actual, well, it's five percent less. Does that mean anything? Fifteen percent? It's it's what's causing him to make that. Right. Uh, you know, that call. And and we make fun of analysts when they say I'm I'm lowering or raising my price target from 180 to 183 and a half. And it's like, how can you, I mean, with a straight face, you're doing that? Like we should take it, like you know what the stock's going to do, but they plug some number, here's my model, blah, blah, blah. They plug it in, and if it comes out, they tell us. Exactly. So what do we expect? And also,
5: we should emphasize, Goldman has been correct about the economy yeah. to this point. So they have not been is great. expecting is. a yeah. recession. They basically are saying the soft landing that now seems more evident, which seemed like a long shot six months ago, seems more likely. Unemployment claims, yeah, they've ticked off the lows, but they're not high enough. To where you get worried about it, so it's almost like there's not enough time for the right. for the recession, even if we're going to get one. Uh, also, I think Yan would also point out that in a random year in history, uh, the chance of a recession is like 25%. So he's more or less saying it's it's less likely than typical, but you could always get a shock; you never know.
3: The going. thing that bothers me about Yan is that I, I don't think he's a morning person, which irritates me because he's typically it comes on at 10 a.m. all the time. That's the morning. That's my point. Santoli. He's not on this show. He, he and I. We would like him to be on he this would. show. I'm. I'm trying to poach guests like live on. Uh, on there our he show. He is. Like, Jan, but yeah, just Jan
4: feel better, Money though.
3: never sleeps, pal. The world is go- moving. At six a.m. at 6.05. Mm-hmm. Where are you? Where are you? Let's get going here. All right, well. Is that a good pitch? Watching. Think I can get him on?
4: It works. Let's talk about Elon Musk right now because he is now threatening to sue the Anti Defamation League in a post on X. He accused the organization of, quote, trying to kill this platform by falsely accusing it and me of being anti-Semitic. He said, if this continues, quote, we will have no choice but to file a defamation suit against, ironically, the Anti-Defamation League. Musk later posted that he's pro-free speech, but against anti-Semitism of any kind. Musk also noted that X's advertising revenue remains down by 60% in the United States and alleged that advertisers have told the platform the pressure from the ADL is part of that decision. Now, the ADL said yesterday that as a matter of policy does not comment on legal threats but referred NBC News to a statement in response to the recent quote ban the ADL campaign that's been taking place on X it said such an insidious effort uh, do, in, such insidious efforts don't daunt us instead they drive us to be unflinching in our commitment to fight hate in all its forms and ensure the safety of Jewish communities and other marginalized groups and of course we've had uh, Mr. Greenblatt on the program many times many of course times. Uh, the fellow who runs uh, ADL, and he's spoken out on lots of issues. I thought that they were having a um, much more sort of meaningful engagement. At least it sounded that way prior to this, but I um, mean, there, no If
3: you recall, Jonathan has, has been on, yep. and we've talked about his Outspoken. relationship, but his relationship with Elon, right. and there were times in the past where we were surprised at uh, how somewhat positive he was about what Elon had said he was right. willing to do. On Twitter. And it it made Jonathan feel a little bit better about his concerns for what the problems were. Remember? And and he said, yeah, I talked to Elon and and I felt better after I spoke to him. Now I guess that detente uh, is probably off. It does set up. We always have... We have Jonathan. Sometimes just with him, but other times we do set up an opposing yeah. viewpoint. That, that's a hell of a debate right there. If uh, you know Jonathan will will come,
4: we 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 should see your your
3: booking guests no, say, live but, on the air but, this you, but you know what? You know what I'm thinking. Yeah. What are you thinking? Don't you follow Elon?
4: I do. Does he not follow you? Yes, that's true. Can you not DM him about no, this and try potential? To get him, wait, I do not think that he and Jonathan would. would. I don't. I don't think they. How would share you know if stage. you don't ask? Yeah, that's true. And you can do it yep. on the QT. I mean, I could do it on the QT <laughs> now that it's on television. Sure. Oh, that's right. We could yeah. do that. He might come on. Maybe he's going to need an MRI.
5: It's hard to know, you know, before he does. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right.
0: Tees will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, mapping out the next wave of AI with one of the technology's first adopters and entrepreneurs, co-founder of DeepMind and of Inflection AI, Mustafa Soliman.
2: Everybody is gonna have an intelligent assistant, a personal intelligence that knows you, that is super smart, that understands your personal history and can actually hold state. It can preserve things in its working memory. So it will be able to reason over your day, help you prioritize your time, help you invent, be much more creative. It'll be a research assistant, but it'll also be a coach and a companion.
0: We're a far, far cry from PDAs. We'll learn just how far right after this.
5: At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need.
0: Is there
2: anything you can't do?
5: Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> The UPS. Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything.
0: At least that's good. The UPS store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See Center for Details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
5: The most innovative companies are going further with T Mobile for business. Together with Delta, we're putting 5G into the hands of ground staff so they can better assist on-the-go travelers with real-time information. From the Delta Sky Club to the Jet Bridge, this is elevating customer experience. This is Delta with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
0: This is SquawkPod.
4: 5, track pro A. Stand by to roll it. Stand, Andrew, buying. 3, 2, roll pro A. Track, take. 2, Andrew. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the Nasdaq Market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan. Mike Santoli's hanging out with us for all three hours. Thank you, sir. Becky's off. Summer ends. I mean, I know it's not officially the end of something, but it kind of is. No,
5: know. I know. For you, it's, it's like just, white jean
4: season is, o- is over. It's over. So it's, it's over, great. man. You know, with AI, by the end of this show, we can have
3: you photoshopped in white jeans. I mean, you, you don't... I know you can. You can. You don't own... You've never had a pair of white jeans. I
4: own one pair of white jeans. They get amortized maybe once a year. You? Maybe. You? How about you? No. No. No, 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 no. No, no, light, no. Light tan? Light gray? Not everybody can pull it off. I
3: no. That's the thing.
4: You can pull it off.
3: What I'm interested in are those pants where at the bottom, I don't know how you get them on, but I want some of those. This is like around your ankle. How do you get those on? How do those... I see people wearing... Young people. Papered pants is what yeah, you How do you... Do you walk, step down into them? Do
4: you know? Are they stretchy? Ankle like that. <laughs> you have those. Okay, uh, new book out, our next guest, outlining the risks and rewards of the AI revolution. Uh, he was one of the early revolutionaries, if you will. Mustafa Suleiman is the co-founder of AI Research Lab DeepMind, which was acquired by Google, and co-founder and CEO now of Inflection AI. His new book out today, The Coming Wave, Technology Power, and the 21st Century's Greatest Dilemma. Uh, you were one of the originals, um, the OGs, if you will, in the <laughs> AI revolution, and uh, want to talk about it. Uh, It's called the coming wave and we were just talking about the getting the book out now because you think that the wave is about to not crest but it is coming and coming fast where will you know how quickly is this moving
2: well i mean intelligence is the most valuable tool we have as humans right and what we're seeing is that we're able to distill that intelligence the ability to plan predict organize information create new things into a piece of software, into an algorithm, and it's getting better and better. So with every new big training run, people will have heard of GPT-4 or GPT-3, each of these models are 10 times larger in terms of the total amount of compute that's used to produce them than the previous
4: one. How much though is this a hype cycle? And the reason I ask is, I think a lot of us have played with ChatGPT, and a lot of people even use it on a daily basis or a weekly basis, but mostly for things that are not mission critical yet. when does it become mission critical
2: well if you compare gpt4 versus gpt3 you can see what an order of magnitude feels like in terms of compute and how different the capabilities are with each new order of magnitude the models get more controllable and that's the key thing is you want them to be factually accurate And then you want them to produce the same behavior over and over again. And that's the remarkable trend that we've seen. As they get bigger, they don't get more dangerous. They actually get easier to control. How much are
4: we supposed to worry, though, that I think even you are not completely clear on how it all works? Sometimes we talk about hallucinations. That's the sort of phrase in the business when it sort of starts to say stuff that nobody understands why it's doing that. Is that unto itself a problem?
2: Well, look, hallucinations are definitely an issue. Right? At the moment, they don't reliably produce the same output over and over again. However, again, if you compare them over the previous two or three generations, they're doing a much, much better job. And so in my book, I try to lay out what the trajectory might look like right. over the next five to ten years, if we move through these
4: orders of magnitude. Okay, so let's let's do that. Five years from now, we're sitting at this table. How has our life, everybody here changed?
2: Everybody is gonna have an intelligent assistant, a personal intelligence that knows you, that is super smart, that understands your personal history, and can actually hold state. It can preserve things in its working memory. So it will be able to reason over your day, help you prioritize your time, help you invent, be much more creative. It'll be a research assistant, but it'll also be a coach and a companion. And so it's gonna feel like having intelligence as a commodity, cheap, widely available, making us, making everybody smarter and more productive.
4: Okay, but when you say that, so, okay, so for this interview, I knew this interview was coming up, so I, I got a PDF of the book, which was sent to me. Uh, we also had a producer who went through the book as well. Right. Um, we looked at a lot of different, different things. I went and read an, uh, an old article about you in Wired magazine. Right. And all, okay. So the question, though, is... That took me some time to, to do that, and I was sort of Googling around and doing, doing some stuff, and we've, we've met before and known each other. So, but in the future, would I just say, Mustafa's gonna be on the show tomorrow? Just break it down for me? Write five questions? For, how, is this, how would this, and would the five questions be good? Well,
2: in my new company, Inflection, we have an AI called Pi, which stands for personal intelligence, and it is the ultimate synthesizer of information. I mean, that's what a smart aid will do for you capture the key points that you need to know at any given moment, given some context, exactly as you've just described. So the way I see it is that in five years, everybody is going to have their own chief of staff. It's going to intimately know your personal information, be completely aligned with your interests, and help you to manage and process all the information you need to Okay, let me ask a
4: We both have those already. I think you do too, <laughs> okay, I think so, you do too don't so you? Joe, Joe just went to Telluride last week. That's true. And In white, Jeans. But here's, here's the question. Not really. In the future, so but for Joe or anybody to go on a trip or to go to a conference or an event, typically you might get invited to the, the event. And I'm thinking there's lots of people in, in our audience who've had this experience. You have to email back to the event organizer saying, yes, I'm going to come. Then you have to uh, organize the hotel. You might have to get the uh, flight. You have to get the car to the airport. Potentially, you might need another car from the airport to the hotel. You might need to cancel some meetings that were happening during the event that you had already planned. I mean, there's sort of, I could go through sort of 15 or 20 permutations that oftentimes a lot of people who are in our audience actually have an assistant who handles all of this. Right now, I don't think you could do that using...
2: We, you definitely can't do that right now, right? But we are definitely on a trajectory where all of those capabilities that you've just described are totally possible. We just say possible. go,
4: and it just happens, magically.
2: Exactly, and these AIs are gonna be able to call other AIs. They'll be able to phone other humans. They'll be able to look up any arbitrary knowledge source interact with it and make decisions to try and right. do that productivity. Okay, let's
4: talk about mission critical stuff, because I also want to talk about security and some of the misinformation issues and, and worries. But in terms of mission critical, one of the things that's fascinating, I don't know if you saw, Elon Musk was on uh, X about a week ago, showing off uh, some new uh, features of the full driving uh, Right. Service that he says is based on AI. And it's because it's no longer an if then program from some of the stuff that was being done before. Now it's actually being done through neural nets and the like. Does that, do you say to yourself, this is, boy, this is totally going to work? Do you say, I'm completely worried about this? What happens if it hallucinates?
2: Well, of co- it, look, for sure it's gonna work. The question is over what time scale, right? So to your point about hype, sure, there are some people who have been overstating fully self-driving cars for quite a long time. The, the challenge is that putting stuff into practice in the physical real world is 10 times harder than doing it in software. When you're just interacting conversationally with somebody in software, that's a much right. lower barrier to entry. What's the scariest part of this for you? Look, this is gonna make everybody much more productive. A kilo of grain today only uses 2% of the labor that it, that it needed 100 years ago. We're on the same trajectory for white collar work, for knowledge work. Depends, you know, you can argue whether it's 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years. We're on that trajectory. So so the, the jobs question is a very real one, and that means it's going to be a question of how we handle tax. Are you, are
4: you more worried about that, or are you more worried about the safety and security and misinformation and all of those other issues?
2: Well, short term, I'm worried about misinformation because these are known problems, and, the, and these tools are just going to exacerbate those known problems. It's going to be radically cheaper for anybody to be able to produce very convincing misinformation, video, audio, text. That's a known challenge.
3: First, uh, uh, blue collar and agriculture work was disrupted. you know, you need one out of 100 people now. Now you just said it's going to happen to white collar work. Who's that lead? Well,
2: in the long term, it means that we have to adapt and we have to find more creative tasks that make us more productive and capable. So we are going to have
3: dizzy work, digging holes and filling them back up. It, it, we're back to universal basic income no, that's and flying just, around in a spaceship out. playing like on, in the movie Wall-E, just big fat people playing video games and, and getting paid to eat. Look,
2: the reality is, if this makes us much more efficient and productive, it will also give us time to be much more creative, attack all the scientific challenges that we need to attack.
3: This is going to be the most productive
2: and valuable
3: decade in the history of hey, our I species. Should, I, I should, this should be solving all the... Tasks that we're trying to, when, it, when it, that's the singularity. When it has a billion times as much knowledge as our knowledge, we well, won't have to do anything.
2: I don't worry so much about the singularity. Mean, I, I think that the singularity is sort of too far out, if
3: you like. I thought like, it was coming in. To, I, I'm counting I, on it coming <laughs> in my lifetime. So Herswell said we're
4: 2040, right? Yeah, I mean, we're, yeah, think, we're close. No? When do you think it happens?
3: I, I, have, I, I couldn't possibly predict
2: a date. It's too esoteric an idea for me to really wrap my what's head the around.
4: Cool, We've we got to run, but what's the coolest thing you're using AI for right now? How much of it did it help you with your book?
2: Actually, the first few pages of my book were written by an AI. So, see if you find it convincing. Um, but it definitely frames the issues. It's very balanced, considers the right. harms on both sides. It's very honest. It's an open account of, you know, the, prom- the promise and peril of AI in this in this coming wave.
4: Called the coming wave. Um, Mustafa, thank you. Appreciate thank it. you. Great Appreciate to see it. it.
0: Next on SquawkPod. It's me. Hi. Joe Kernan, that is. I have to disclose. I am that mutual friend. Taylor Swift's deal with AMC and the squawk broker that made the first intro.
1: Are you going to get a cut of this? No.
0: No. We're friends. Plus, the media reporter who broke the news, Puck's Matt Bellany.
1: The thing that AMC could offer the Swift family was urgency. They wanted to get this movie into theaters soon because the Aris tour has left North America and is now overseas. At the UPS store,
5: we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need.
2: Is there anything you can't do?
5: Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS. Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything.
0: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Andrew Ross-Sorkin, and Mike Santoli. Here's Andrew.
4: I want to get to today's biggest media stories, including the latest on the Hollywood strikes and the high-profile fight between Disney and charter communications over carriage fees. Joining us right now is Matt Bellany, Puck's founding partner. Good morning to you. Uh, let's start with the state of play uh, for the strike. And I want to get to some of Barry Diller's comments as well that he made last week. But... You know, Labor Day was the day that for many months now, uh, you and I and so many others talked about being uh, the day that this would all get resolved. And uh, I'm looking at my clock and we're not there yet.
1: Yeah, I've officially moved my date. I think this is going to start to be resolved to next month because there's really not an end in sight. I mean, the 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 two sides on the Writers Guild side and the studio side, they did go back and forth on a proposal a couple of weeks ago. Um, and the studios thought that they made some traction there. They, they gave right. on a couple of the issues. They wanted to use that as a template. The Writers Guild basically said, we're not prepared to do that. And you know, they have so much leverage behind them. They, they This is an, a, a situation where two guilds, two unions are on strike at the same time. They know on the writer's side that they have extraordinary leverage that they haven't had uh, for many, many years. So they're going for it. How how cohesive is the producer uh,
4: alliance? And, And the reason I ask is Barry Diller made a comment that basically they should break up and split away, that Disney is a very different kind of organization than a Netflix is, or an Amazon or an Apple specifically.
1: Well, Barry's right that these are different companies that have different agendas, but they come together for this one purpose of negotiating Labor Guild Deals, and it would actually be pretty difficult for them to break off. There's a notice period. Um, they, you know, they could actually, they have a written contract. So the people that are left behind could actually sue the company that breaks away. So it's not as easy as Netflix just saying, you know what, we're going to do this on our own. They they actually enter into this AMPTP group for a reason, and they're contractually bound. So it would be a little bit difficult. Not saying it couldn't happen, but it would be difficult.
3: Coming after uh the pandemic, this is the whole movie industry, Matt, is changing. And um, I talked to you last night, and so let's talk about this. <laughs> that was classic. Taylor Swift. I know, Talk about this Taylor Swift deal uh, with AMC. You wrote a piece, I was in Telluride, uh, when, I, when I saw the piece, you talk about how that deal came together. And you mentioned that Taylor Swift's father was put in touch with AMC CEO, Adam Aaron, by a mutual friend. I saw that you were gonna be on today, and I I have to disclose, I am that mutual friend, which I told you last night. I saw your piece out in Telluride, and it was clear, I, I'm not gonna be able to sit here and not say that I, that I wasn't the person that, that was talking to Scott, who then said, uh, Adam Aaron might be someone uh, that, that you should probably talk to. And I've, I've been friends with both of these gentlemen for uh, over a decade. Each of them, and it was a, just seemed like a simple thing for me to do. Here, I'll have Adam call you. What happened, Matt, and you know, Scott wants everyone to be able to see the Ares tour, that Taylor's father. Wants everyone. And you know what the demand was. He was looking for a way to be able to do that and I don't think he was being satisfied with the answers he was getting from most of the studios. So the whole idea of, you know, it's possible for AMC to distribute movies now after that 2020 ruling. And I said, give, it, give Adam a call and see, and see what happens. And, and now we know what happened.
1: The real question is, are you going to get a cut of this? You know, investment no. bankers, no. they get We're paid friends. for doing things like that.
3: No, I know. I, I know. Tell me about it. No, I mean, I... I, there's no way that 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 we're, we're doing. I'm just did this. We're friends. I'm friends with, with both gentlemen. And, and I initially I said to Scott, let's talk. I'll put you in touch with the people at Universal. Let, let's let's do that. But it, it, what, it wasn't. I don't think the Swift team was hearing what they needed to hear from the studios. And now the rest is history. What, what does this mean about the future?
1: Well, the thing that AMC could offer the Swift family was urgency. They wanted to get this movie into theaters soon because the Eras tour has left North America and is now overseas. And when you deal with a major studio, there's other movies to consider. There's entire marketing and distribution teams you have to have meetings with. There's all this kind of uh, infrastructure you have to deal with. And with AMC, like you said, it was negotiating directly with the CEO Um, And it came down to, okay, you want it to come out on her birthday, October 13th, this year? Great, we'll do this. Universal happened to already have a big movie planned for that day, The Exorcist remake or sequel, and they couldn't have put that movie on the 13th. But AMC could do it.
3: I think that it, it, it was in another public report that Paramount was involved in the mix at one point. They were talking about 2025, Now, if you want to do it, I think the Swift family wanted to to have this out, not on streaming either, but they wanted to have it out coincident with the era's tour. 2025, that just shows you how cumbersome uh, it is to try to work with, I guess, to to work with the conventional Hollywood model. But I'm just wondering whether the conventional Hollywood model, after the pandemic and now these strikes, what's it look like?
1: Well, that's certainly how movies studios think. They think in terms of a year, two years out. Um, but I do agree that, you know, I don't know the specifics of what was offered to the Swift family by the studios. But yeah, you got to put this out when the studio in this case, which is the Swift family, they own the movie, they made it paid for the movie, they own it. And you'd think they'd be able to work something out a little bit sooner when they want to get it out. But again, these studios, they have their slate set. Um, It's ironic a little bit, though, because some of these movies from the studios are getting pushed to 2024 and beyond because of the strikes. So there is a little bit of a lighter release schedule this fall than normal. And obviously, AMC took advantage of that. And this is a movie that domestically could gross a couple hundred million dollars in theaters. That's no small change for these companies.
3: It's unbelievable. I mean, Taylor's very smart, and she's surrounded by a smart team, and her parents are, are both really smart. And I, I should point out, I mean, I, I, I do talk quite a bit, uh, and this was nothing unusual, and I was shocked after the initial conference. You know, I didn't talk after that. It was back in the spring, and I was shocked when it was really happening. But um, it's a big story, Matt. Thank you. I don't... I'm not sure I really like being part of, of, of a, we never want that, do we, Zorkin? Being, being actually part of a, but what am I going to do? It happens to Sorkin as well. Yeah, yeah, it does. Exactly. Mr. Billion deal book all over the place.
4: Matt, Matt uh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Nice to see you.
0: That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC, starting at 6 Eastern and going all the way to 9. To get the smartest takes and analysis from that live TV broadcast right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.